0: The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.
1: You are about to enter a world of hope and engage in a conversation about peace and positive change in our wounded communities. Welcome to Power of Peace Radio with your host, Kit Cummings. Each week, we tackle the issues that you've been asking about, and we seek sustainable solutions for our youth, their families, and our planet. Now,
2: here is Kit Cummings. Good evening, everybody. Kit Cummings, live from Atlanta, Power of Peace Radio, and this is our our new episode this week, and I'm very, very excited about it. We have a couple of uh, wonderful guests, and uh, we're going to get to in just a few minutes, um, but I just want to thank everybody for tuning in. Every week there's more and more, and uh, we really try to tackle issues that you're already talking about. You've either seen it on Fox News or CNN. It's water cooler talk. It's, um, some people are, are – it's a hot issue, and it's, uh, some people are arguing about it. Everybody's got an opinion about it. You even heard some of it talked about in the Republican – Uh, debates this past week. Uh, PowerPeace Radio is about finding solutions, not just talking about the problems and uh, not making excuses, blaming, complaining about what's going on. There's enough of that. And especially in today's world uh, with the media, uh, there's so much negativity and drama. If it bleeds, it leads. And without trying, we can become, as a society, addicted to drama and we say we don't like it, but we tune in for more. And to tell you the truth, they've tried programming on TVs and radio shows where they only talk about good news. And, you know, sometimes it's just fluffy peace and good news and people get bored. And uh, a lot of times that's not what the the masses are looking for. But then again, they also people get discouraged. They're getting uh, fear driven and um, people are losing their there peace over it. We've got a very anxious society. We've got road rage, and, and you just see people are just waiting to jump. Just give me a reason. And uh, we see that at work, and we see it on the streets. We definitely see it in schools, in our communities, even in churches. Pastors are trying to get people to get along, and so we live in an age where tension is rising, And the Power of Peace radio is not just to come in and sing kumbaya, you know, with some people that are, that's awesome if that's your thing, (laughs) don't get me wrong. But this is about digging into real current issues and finding solutions. And I want you to be able to go away every week with something that you can apply where you are more knowledgeable and hopefully you've tuned into the other side of the conversation. Because the Power of Peace project was born in a dangerous maximum security prison between rival gang members and we brought rival gangs together and we began to listen to the other side and find our commonality rather than just our differences and what separates us and stop uh judging first but walk a mile with the other man actively listen find common ground seek first to understand your opponent and miracles happened, and the Power Peace Project was born. And now we take it into schools and inner cities, and we do go to Ferguson's or Baltimore's or, you know, Cleveland. And we've got a movement going on in Cleveland right now in youth corrections that is nothing short of historic. And um, this past week, we heard the governor of Ohio that's uh, really, I think, going to move to the front. Uh, talk about the uh, the system in our America and, and recidivism incarceration and uh, young people that are being sent away for you know uh, younger and younger for longer crimes and tonight we're going to talk about that real quickly I want to thank everybody who came out to the Peace behind the wire a nonviolent resolution uh, it's my new book it is available now on Amazon Barnes & Noble um, Apple iBooks. Uh, you can get it on Kindle. You can get the print version. Very, very excited. This is five years, the history of the Power of Peace movement, and uh, thank you so much. It was standing room only. We packed the house, and we had uh, wonderful people come out. It was a great event. Chairman John Eaves. thank you, Fulton County Chairman. Commissioner Bob Ellis, uh, Civil Rights Leader Mark L. Hutchins, who you heard from last week on our show as well as uh, Dr. David Jackson with uh, Community Affairs with the Atlanta Police Department. It was a great night, and uh, please get the book. It it deals with the subjects that we're talking about. Um, Tonight, we've got special guests, and I decided to have two on because these gentlemen really compliment one another, Um, but also, um, first of all, Antonio Boyd. Antonio and I have known each other for a good little minute, and Antonio actually wrote the foreword for the book I just released, and I'd like to... Just quickly tell you a little bit about Antonio. In 2005, South Carolina Governor Mark Sanford appointed Antonio to the South Carolina Commission for National and Community Service. In 2006, the White House selected Antonio to represent South Carolina as one of the state's 15 delegates to the Commission on Aging. He worked with Lindsey Graham, a senator. He also... Uh, was two years as the de- delegate to the U.S. Senate's African-American Leadership Summit. During the Clinton administration, he worked with uh, Sylvia Panetta, wife of Chief of Staff Leon Panetta, and Vice President Al Gore. And he's probably going to tell me, shut up and get on with it. So I could keep going, but Antonio has done a lot and works with Hope Worldwide and literally has helped thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of people uh, of people around the world. Our other guest is uh, Mr. Charles L. Hensley who is a retired warden from the Illinois, uh, Illinois Department of Corrections with 30 years of combined correctional management and human services experience. He's worked in every security level of our prison system. Listen to this. Minimum security, medium security, high-medium security, maximum security, supermax security. His last 12 years as an administrative being a superintendent, system warden, and a warden were spent in maximum security and supermax security custody. That's a... We want to hear about that. He has supervised several inmates on death row and has participated in the execution of inmates sentenced to die. He has managed a maximum security prison with over 3,500 inmates housed at one time, the largest facility in Illinois and one of the largest max prisons uh, in the nation. He also managed a supermax security prison, which housed at the time the worst of the worst inmate prisoners, Illinois. I think that he's earned the right to talk about these things. Gentlemen... I'm going to take a breath. Thank you so much for being with us. Antonio, how are you doing, brother?
3: Oh, I'm doing well, kid, and thank you for having me. Thank you for all your uh, great work you're doing in the community and um, just for writing this wonderful book. It my honor to write the forward, and also to uh, participate in your first book as well. So, brother, I'm supportive and I'm ready to have this conversation as we speak. Uh, we have violence going on in Ferguson, Missouri. Can you
2: believe it? I know. It's, um, yeah, we got, we got some stuff to talk about. Um, uh, Warden Hensley, uh, we're new friends, but any friend of, uh, Antonio's is a friend of mine. I really respect, um, your experience, your career, your work, and your passion for changing this system. You have a very, very interesting perspective because you've been on both sides and, um, we're, it's great to have you. How are you doing tonight, sir?
4: I'm doing very well. And, and, and thank you also for allowing me to, uh, share just a few of my views and perspectives uh, within a very um, challenging and controversial uh, subject matter our criminal justice system and, and the uh, violence that's occurring within our nation. So I appreciate you having me.
2: And I know that, uh, Warden Hensley, you wrote a book that has been, uh, it's a, a very important book on this issue, uh, The Anatomy of the Prison System. Is that right?
4: is titled The
2: Anatomy of Prison Life. Prison Life. Prison Life. I knew that. The Anatomy of Prison yeah. Life. And uh, it's a, a fascinating book. So anyway, let's jump into it, guys. Um, Antonio, first of all, with everything that's going on now that's uh, it's heated back up in uh, Ferguson, tell us, uh, what do you think are some community solutions? We're going to jump right into solutions, but then obviously we're going to talk about what's going on. What could we do to stem the tide of situations that are blowing up in the Ferguson's, Baltimore, Charleston, Texas, Cleveland, New York City. Um, what, what what are some answers?
4: Right. I'll
3: be on the uh, phone with uh, assistant superintendent of Ferguson Fluorescent School District, and we'll be talking about uh, the solutions because uh, one of the things that we need to all be praying about is uh, this violence, that goes on and is going on in Ferguson It immediately shuts down schools uh, just to keep the kids safe. It um, actually divides the teachers um, who are on both sides of this, and it causes um, disruptions to families. And so it's not just what we see on TV, but there are long-lasting problems uh, in the community. And one of the things that we found out through the last uh, episode uh, down in Ferguson was that although um, the uh, problems was going on, and we had the media down in Ferguson, and we had all kinds of activists down in Ferguson, the uh, the individual who lived in that community really didn't get a chance to express their feelings or their pain, or even get any kind of uh, therapeutic help uh, from folks who um, have to live there. So this 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 violent eruption you're seeing again is just. Uh, an expression of the frustration because between uh, the last time we were down there and the last time we had folks down there marching and um, uh, burning down buildings, there hasn't really been a real conversation in the community about the real systemic problems in the community. So going back to kind of the power of peace example, I mean, one of the things we need to talk about, kids, is really going down there and having um, conversations that can Resolve some of the feelings and some of the frustrations. Um, we've had a lot of people um, gain success. As a matter of fact, uh, the police chief, uh, the police captain of Ferguson, uh, uh, that was in the media down in New Orleans with my fraternity right now, as our keynote speaker for the weekend. Um, and um, you know now they have all these problems there. So what I'm trying to say is succinctly. We need to start having healing conversations in Ferguson and not just wait a year and then have more violence. And that's Absolutely. the first uh, community solution that I know will have effect because that's what they've already told me that they need. Yeah. So I'd love to talk
4: Absolutely. to you about that more.
2: I was um I went there last year about this time last year when it um it had all started and they were having the the riots and they had brought in extra you know uh, support and and it was very very ugly and and just um you know during that 100 days I just drove there in in the middle of the day and went down to the place that they had right after they'd burnt down the quick trip and it was it was hot around there but it was during the day and and I parked my car, and I got out, and I walked down the street, Michael Brown's uh, street, went down to to where his little you know neighborhood was, and I went to the spot, um, at, where they had made the memorial on the street, and it was still very fresh. And now it is again a year later; it's it's starting to uh, heat up and blow up again. But his neighbors began to come out, and I think yeah, I probably stood out. I'm you know a big, tall, lanky white guy with a "Hope is the new dope" T-shirt on, so I'm you know. And I started to meet these wonderful people, and I just asked simple questions. I said, how do you do? Can you help me? And they said, what do you need? I said, I'm just here trying to meet people, and I want to know what do you think the solution is to this problem? Because nobody I don't think is asking you. And they would start to speak, and I'd pull out my little flip cam and say, do you mind if I record this? And nobody told me no. And then they would talk about, I mean, these people have an opinion. They had a voice, and they they had concern. One guy... He said, Man, they they burned down my quick trip, and that's 100 feet from my house. That's where I get my stuff, and now I don't have any more. He said, We don't want this looting. And a lot of the guys that were out here fighting the police last night, now they're beefing today against one another. So they were together last night fighting the police. Now they're fighting each other again during the day. Then they're getting, you know. So, you know, what do you, why did they call you, Antonio? How do you guess? I know you were in Baltimore working the chief of police there, but. Um, what is your role in this, and, and how do you get involved in these things?
3: So, so actually, um, it's funny how this works, and you guys are going to really be shocked by this, but uh, on, both, on both fronts, Ferguson, Baltimore, uh, Charleston, the federal government calls. So, uh, in Baltimore and in Charleston in particular, the Department of Justice, uh, has uh, what they call community liaisons who basically are trying to go on the ground for the Department of Justice to try to uh, kind of get a sense of what the community is feeling, try to offer community solutions and healing, or try to just be there in case uh, so that they can have a community perspective so that when the president or the attorney general needs to understand what's actually going on on the ground, they have the pulse of the situation. So, um, basically, I, I get a call to say, well, who are the key players in the communities? Uh, because we work in 240 communities, and can you connect us to those folks? And then once uh, the federal government gets connected to the folks, then they want to know uh, what we think about community solutions because we're on the ground every day. And so mm-hmm. in Ferguson, I got a call from the Department of Education uh, saying that although all the cameras had left, um, Uh, They still had, you know, (laughs) uh, 11,000 students in the Ferguson-Florison School District. They still had 3,000 homeless students in that same district, and they needed programs to help those kids uh, do better in school, that the whole school district was in um, censorship by by the, uh, uh, the governor of Missouri, meaning that the school district is doing so poorly that the governor of Missouri has taken it over, And Mm -hmm. that the cameras are gone, but the problems are still there for those children. And so we developed a Saturday STEM Academy program uh, for the Ferguson-Florissant School District. It started in July, and we've been consulting them because they want to build a high school that's focusing on STEM, et cetera, et cetera. So Mm -hmm. tomorrow we'll be just discussing, you know, what are their immediate needs of the students as they come. You know, kids are getting ramped up to go back to school. And so, what we can do um, to facilitate their process going back to school, where uh, this latest incidents of violence won't affect the students, so that's what we're working.
2: Wow! Yeah, I, I got a chance. I, I went and stood outside the the high school that day, and uh, just waited. And then the students were released, and they flooded out of that place, and they came down, and and I saw the. Kids are kids. There was joy. They were cutting up. They were, you know. And I just I stood there and uh, and I asked a few of them, "Hey, can I get a few minutes of your time? And what what do you think the solutions are?" I'd love that question. And some of the brightest young people, you know, some of them said to what? And I was like, "To to what do you mean to what? I mean to what's going on here at night?" Oh, that uh, I don't. I'm not. I'm not sure. It was kind of just they were checked out. And other ones were so articulate and bright and i don't know there's there's things going on in these communities that there's a lot of people around this country that have an opinion and have never been there they're not involved in the conversation they haven't been to the communities what they do is maybe watch the news and go and you know spout out their opinions about those people and why can't they just you know relax and i want to talk about this in the next segment is you know there's there's sides forming cops and communities law enforcement civilians rich poor black white it's a generational poverty and then it's the the people out in the suburbs and and you know Dr. King said that we don't we fear each other you know because we don't understand each other and we don't understand each other because we don't communicate and until we get a conversation going and that's what this is, is how do we start getting involved in the other person's, you know, getting in the other person's situation, walk a mile, whether it be the flag issue that we talked about last week. Tonight, we're going to talk about, you know, we are going to get into the mass incarceration issue. And um, Warden Hensley, I love the question. I'm going to tease this just a little bit um, that I'd like to start with in the next segment. Why? Why? Uh, do the high rates of recidivism continue to occur and even rise when crime rates have not significantly increased in the past 10 to 20 years? And that might surprise some listeners. It might be like, man, crime is out of control. And then we look at the stats, and it's like, well, crime is crime, and it's about the same, but incarceration is skyrocketing. So there is a problem with this system, and I'd love to hear you know, from your perspective – what you learned on the inside and also why do you think that that is the current trend but everybody just hang tight we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to be back powerpiece radio with antonio b boyd and warden charles hensley come back
0: love is in the air tonight. out to the It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com
5: Do you feel alone even when you are surrounded by others? Do you feel that there is sometimes nowhere to turn and nobody really understands? Remember, you are not alone. Every week, host April J. Ford, who has faced adversity as a constant in her life, helps you rise above life's challenges with your own blueprint meant to help you find out who you are. April's challenges have included childhood sexual abuse, becoming a widow and single parent at 32, and plenty of other curveballs thrown at her by life. She'll help you every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment happy in your life, or are you just settling? It's time to speak out, take control of your existence, and let your life speak. Bart Queen is the host of A Hero's Journey. His personal goal is to help you find your voice, use that voice, and live the life that you deserve to live. Do more, be more, and give more. Tune into A Hero's Journey on the Voice America Empowerment Channel, live every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time. You owe it to yourself to tune in and make your voice count. Get ready to experience a more fulfilling lifestyle. Tune in to Direct Connect Empowerment with host Fee Mazanke. The show will feature guests who have changed their lives by using the Direct Connect coaching program or have worked with the same concepts that this program offers. By hearing how others have been transformed, you will be inspired to move forward. Direct Connect Empowerment with The Mazanki can be heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.
0: Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment.
1: listening to power of peace radio to reach kit cummings or his guest today please call into the program at 1-888-346-9141 again that's 1-888-346-9141 you may also send an email to kit at
2: KitCummings.com. now back to power of peace radio all right we're back and uh, man i wish you guys could have heard some of that conversation in the break it was, it was good stuff Ooh. But I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on it. But um, I'd like to talk to, um, to you, Warden Hensley. And um, you've been inside the system for the last 30 years, from Supermax, even Death Row, all the way back to guys that are getting out, coming home. And uh, one of the questions that, that we threw around when we were putting together the show is, why are the high rates of recidivism, which means when guys get out, you know, they turn around, not just guys, but people get out, reoffend within 3 years and come back why do those rates stay the same or even climb when crime rate, uh, rates have not significantly increased in the past 10 even 20 years um how speak to that if you would and really anything else that's um gotten your attention while we were talking in the first segment with Antonio
4: Certainly thank you uh first of all I I like to try to uh I guess begin this conversation slightly with some statistics because I think Statistics are important uh, when we have these serious discussions so we can have some context and frame of reference to begin the dialogues from. And I'll just share a few statistics. 77 million Americans have an arrest record. Hmm. 77 million Americans have an arrest record. 707 out of every 100,000 adults are locked up in our prison systems
3: 2.3 wow.
4: million to 2.7 million of our citizens are housed in federal and state prisons across this country
2: we wait say that one again if you could pardon me what was that what was that last one say I want to hear that one one more time
4: it was two it, it ranges depending on where you go but between point the 2.7 million of our citizens are locked up, incarcerated in federal and state prisons in our nation. Staggering. Over 5 million, that over 5 million are on some form of correctional supervision, either parole or probation. And we spend over $100 billion over the last... 20 to 30 years in trying to deal with our crime rates and our criminal justice system. So I wanted to share those to give a little framework to kind of go into some of these issues because they're extremely complicated because they didn't evolve over a week's time or a month's time. They've been evolving for several years, and the complexities now have gotten pretty uh, uh, involved in how they can be resolved. And going back to what you said earlier, uh, Kit, is when you're talking about your uh, program, somewhat uh, Power of Peace Initiative, developed out of the prison environment in talking to the population, and you was talking about how the the world right now is experiencing a lot of tension and a lot of negativity and a lot of anxiety. Well, that environment, the prison environment, is a cultivation of that every day, the highest level of negativity you're going to ever experience because it's all placed and contained in one central area. But within that environment of negativity, there is some genius and some serious solution thinkers and solution makers, meaning some of the people that are incarcerated. And so um, moving beyond how do we get to the place where we have still high rates of restrictivism, but the crime rate has really not moved on the pendulum that much. It, It goes to the heart to some extent of what opportunities are being made available for those individuals that are coming out into our communities. If there's no serious infrastructure of services and support systems to give individuals an opportunity to move into mainstream successfully, then you, in essence, build a strategic and legitimate avenue for them to fail. And that's what our system has done in a legalized way. Because when someone becomes um, identified as a felony or a felon, that felon then morphs into several other collateral consequences for them. It just doesn't stop when they do their five years, six years, ten years, fifteen years, or whatever how I many years they end up having to do away from society, locked up and limited freedom. But once they come out and their sentence has been paid by what the judge sentences them to do, now they have to deal with another form of punishment, that is, I cannot get into the employment. I'm ostracized from being in certain housing living conditions. I can't get benefits to uh, help me take care of my family. So when those collateral impacts begin to accumulate on the one individual, and then it morphs into the hundreds of millions of individuals that we have in our nations right now, experiencing that, that's where you get the revolving door of people going in and out of prisons, even though the crime rates aren't necessarily going right. Right.
2: up. Now, those, um, man, those stats are, are staggering. And a lot of those um, I'm aware of, and then I hear them, and I'm just like, wow, this is the, the land of the free, you know? I mean, yes. the... the Yes. The greatest nation, you know, being as far as the things that we've accomplished in the history of the human race in a lot of ways. You know, there's this freedom and, and was built on, you know, send us your, you know, the oppressed and this is a place where you can come and, and the American dream and everything that this country was founded on. And now uh, we lock up <laughs> 25% of the world's incarcerated and we've only got 5% of the population. And for the yes. first time in our nation's history, the population of that two and a half million or so is 25 years old and younger. And the war on drugs and minimum mandatories and then getting out with that felony. And one of the toughest things to do when you get out is not just to get that job, but to find a faith community to accept you. And uh, we talked a little bit last week about, you know, we've got what I see in there is a couple of different types of, um, of inmates is one. The people we're mad at, and one the people we're afraid of, and the people we're afraid of don't need to be back in our communities. And the ones we're mad at, we got to help them on the inside, and then give them a chance uh, when they get out. Uh, Antonio, I'd like to ask you a question that um, um, it's it's you know it's relevant right now. There's uh, we're coming up on an election here, and you know in a year we're going to hear a whole lot <laughs> over this next year about the next election. Do you feel like President Obama and the Congress have done enough to focus on these issues, the things that are fueling and keeping these Fergusons and and Baltimore situations going? And if so, what do you think are the programs that people might not know about? And if not, why not?
3: Okay, so you have to um, give President Obama credit in this way and hands down more credit than any other president in our history because he's appointed two African-American attorney generals. Um, That changes the system just by the cultural sensitivity that these two individuals bring the first African-American male and the first African-American female. With that said, um, the, the, also the fact that he's the first president that actually visited a prison, uh, folks might say, well, um, you know, he didn't let the media go in or, you know, what is, is that just a symbolic gesture? But when you understand what he did as a state Senator around these issues of, um, uh, the way we incarcerate young people, as well as the equality around, um, you know, laws around uh, drugs and certain penalties uh, being stricter for certain uh, positions of certain types of drugs, you know that he has a history. Now, mm-hmm. with that said, um, the Justice Department and the um, uh, Department, the uh, ODJP, and all the organizations that. Um, work on these issues, I think Warren Hensley he could speak to this. I think the privatization of the prison system is one of the most booming businesses in the world. So, mm. has has the president of Congress done enough? No, not, not, not unless you've uh, attacked the systemic uh, business model that is the U.S. prison system. And I would love to hear what Chuck would have mm. to say about that, but that's where I think that they fall short. Do we have programs? Do we have money being thrown at uh, young people, once they come out, trying to um, uh, help them do better? Uh, do we have sensitivity? Absolutely, we have all those things. But are we actually attacking the problem of this privatization of this total business model? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. Ward Hensley, yeah. what are your thoughts?
4: Well, the, the privatization aspect of it, in my view, is still just a small percentage of the overall uh, concern that exists, because before the privatization came into being, state and federal prisons were still being constructed for the housing or the warehousing of our citizens. Now, it has taken off to be a more uh, uh, business industry with privatization coming into play, but uh, I wouldn't put a great deal of fault on that aspect of it because the root still uh, hinges on our state and federal systems that were in play and what our legal systems were doing within this issue of war on drugs and trying to place people in correctional facilities in this disguise of protecting the society and protecting the public. So uh, do they have a uh, an adverse effect in it in terms of creating the climate to... Uh, Become an economical business as privatization. Yes, they do, but they are just a uh, an extension of what was already in place with our state
3: and federal systems right, and agencies. Right. Okay. Right. That's, well, one thing. Yeah. One thing I would like to ask real quick, Kit, is mm-hmm. Warden Hisley, is that some of my colleagues looked at it more from why I even brought that up is the economic development issue, whereas, you know, you know this in the state of Illinois, there are total communities plans around the fact that you're going, to bring, you're going to bring a supermax prison into the community and, and be able to create jobs. And so when when I yeah. spoke to that and when I brought that up, I, I'm, I'm wondering, has the president in Congress took a look at this and said, hey, you know, let's, let's build communities and not prisons if we want to create jobs. So when you start talking about on the federal level, has Congress and the president done enough? I'm not. I'm not sure they have them enough to say, "Hey, let's stop building prisons, and let's stop building private prisons as a way of economic development." Let's let's try to let's try to find another way. That's what exactly. I would too. To. Yeah. I would love but your that,
4: thoughts. If I may add, though, that same uh, principle of thought goes into when you're establishing a location for a federal or a state. The bid goes out for a community to uh, house that particular facility, and then even if it's a state or federal, it still prov- provides that quote economic factor within that community. So yes, uh, privatization is a part of it, but I, I just don't want individuals to get uh, somewhat distracted that is all the, the fault of privatization trying to move into this thing, whereas state and federal systems have been doing this for a long time.
2: Right. Yeah, that makes sense. There's a there's a community that I've grown very uh, connected to in Muskegon, Michigan, and I was invited there a couple of years ago by a warden that's become. I mean, I I would love to to connect you too. She's da, done a, an amazing had amazing career, amazing impact, and uh, she loves the inmates and she's committed to trying to help them. She's tough. She's fair, um, but. Anyway, there's three prisons that are in very close proximity in this small town in Western Michigan and um, right by Lake Michigan. And, you know, there's thousands of inmates in that one little area with a minimum prison, with a medium, with a lot of long-time inmates that have just earned the right to do medium security time and then mm-hmm. a high security prison. And these are a lot of inmates that are coming out of Michigan, you know, very depressed mm-hmm. economy. And think about the last, you know, 10 years. And obviously, a lot of gangs, there's a large Muslim influence because uh, Detroit, Dearborn is the, the largest uh, Muslim population in our country. And there's a whole lot of gang violence going on there. And so the power of peace came, they gave us access. Um, 18 months later, in one of those prisons, uh, peace or uh, violence had dropped 50%. And in the last wow. time uh, well I went up there the the warden and i 'm not sure i'd love to hear about these programs in your in your uh long tenure there, but we gave an open call out to twelve hundred inmates in one prison do they want to be in the next forty days of peace, sign the peace pledge get involved in in bringing peace to their community? We had a problem because over six hundred men signed up for the program, and i wasn't prepared for that and I find out that these men want peace. But really, as Antonio was talking about, this is a small town, and the, by far the biggest employer in this little town is the prisons. And so they, they employ a lot of people, and um, it's a tough job. Um, well, I would not know, but, but for, um, um, you know, they're, the officers, the COs are obviously not getting paid a lot. Um, a lot of them really just need a job. It's a tough economy. But if that, those prisons shut down, then that, I mean, I'm wondering what would happen to that little town. And as I said, and we can kind of, uh, you know, go into some of this, I'd like to talk about this new generation of inmates that are coming into the system that are younger and younger and younger. And they have a different code than the, quote-unquote, convicts that have been there 10, 20, 30 years. They had a code in place, how they dealt with things, how men do- dealt with things. And I'm seeing this huge chasm between the the older convict and this new inmate that's coming in with with no code because the the older males in the, the communities where they come from have not been there to raise them. And so now they're going in because it's a family problem. And uh, now a lot of young young people are going in that aren't built for it. I'm working with a lot of kids in the suburbs that think they're tough and so they're running around, you know, acting like they're living grand theft auto or they're living through their gangster rap that they're listening to. And these are soft kids that they're catching these drug charges, too. And they're getting a, an armed robbery because they were with, you know, in a car with four guys and one guy did something stupid and now they're all getting thrown a bunch of time. And they're going away and they're learning to be violent on the inside. And this cycle repeats itself. And so um, I think this is a, an important conversation we're having. But going into the, the break, I would love to talk about the faith community's role in this situation, because I'm just going to be honest, and I don't even want to be, let's, uh, you guys are not being, but I want to, you know, let's talk about real things. I see a bunch of churches sitting on their hands and preaching the, to the converted and not getting involved in these issues and really getting in there, and, and it's ugly and it's dirty. And, I mean, roll your sleeves up and get in there and work with some of these young people it's messy, and it'll break your heart, and sometimes it's risky, and a lot of churches they don't want to deal with that, and so they they just have the programs they have, and they've washed their hands of those kids, the young men out there, and I'm finding churches on every street corner in the in a community where there's prisons or there's there's always jails in every community. You got churches, you got jails, and you got prisons, and I mean, excuse me, and you've got. Um, what am I talking about? Schools and <laughs> schools are the pipelines of the prison, but the churches are not willing to to welcome home these returning citizens. And so, going into this break and come back out of it, I'd love to know, Antonio, your thoughts on what the faith community can do and should be doing, and then uh, Warden Hensley, your thoughts on the the term I just used, returning citizens. Absolutely. So, with that thought, we'll go into our final break. And don't go away. We will be right back with Antonio B. Boyd and Warden Charles Hensley on the Power of Peace Radio. Love
0: is in the air tonight. The energy inside gives me life. And this goes out to the world. Everyone is on world.
1: It's your world.
5: Should there be more to your life? Do you need a change? Transformation for Success with Dr. Barbara Young will provide empowering commentary each week to encourage you. She will interview successful personalities from movies, television, business, technology, health, and academia. All of them have amazing stories resulting in transformed lives. You will learn how to discover real happiness, financial success, and fulfillment to live your highest purpose. Join her on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.
1: Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Power of Peace Radio to reach kit cummings or his guest today please call into the program at 1-888-346-9141 again that's 1-888-346-9141 you may also send an email to kit at kitcummings.com.
2: now back to power of peace radio all right, we're back, and, um, man, I'm, I'm loving this conversation, and I uh, just want to jump right back into it. This coming Wednesday, I'm going to be going out to a, um, a place out in kind of outskirts, a couple hours outside of Atlanta, and uh, launching the Power Peace Project, 40 Days to Freedom, uh, with a bunch of middle schoolers. It's beautiful, 6th, 7th, 8th grade kids, but this is a um, depressed area, very poor generationally, and... Um, all really it's a it's a pretty racial balance in this school but um these kids are are a lot of them they have not been raised a lot of them kind of raise themselves they come back from school and either no parents there one parents there or you know it's 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 a generation that's kind of growing up drifting and just being raised by one another and i went into these prisons five years ago and really just changed my life six years ago um starting this work, and I didn't find what I thought I was going to find. I found fathers, uncles, grandfathers, sons, brothers, and, you know, I found some dangerous men, but I found, as the warden said in the first segment, some, some very, you know, some, some good men that had a bad day or some men that have uh, really changed on the inside and are ready to come home, want to come home. Um, just reconnected with a guy that did 15 years, and he vouched for me in the first prison that I ever went into in Georgia that was just in the middle of a gang war, toughest prison in the state, and they called him Grimlock, and this guy was bad as you want to be, and he vouched for me and connected me, and he helped start the Power Peace Project. He just got out after 15 years, went in when he was 16, got out when he was 32, been out six weeks, And he, a man of his word, he looked me up and he found me when he got out. And now I'm slowly trying to help him. He's got a job. He's got a good, you know, a lady that waited on him. And then he met while he was, you know, in there through, you know, contact and letters and, you know, visits. And, um, but anyway, he's trying to get back into society. But imagine a kid going in at 16 and now he's 32 years old, a grown man getting out and the world has changed and um, you said something, Warden. You said returning citizens when we spoke about this show before. You know we got on tonight. Talk about what that means to you, because I think that's a that's a mind shift that we need. Um,
4: as you know, labels are very very important, and they can be very uh, crippling and damaging once they are associated in a negative light. And as you know, the history of this. Uh, our criminal justice system, we've used various labels, convicts, inmates, felons, ex-offenders, parolees, probationers, on and on and on, and they all have an attachment with them, a level of stigma that kind of sends a signal out to the rest of the world that this person may not be someone that is uh, worthy to be a part of your association or to be involved in your community, etc. Well, So when you have that kind of mindset, you can easily understand why a social consciousness can develop and people begin to uh, look at them and deal with them and interact with them in pretty uh, unhealthy ways. Well, our position is that this person who we incarcerated was a citizen before they went in. They had made a bad choice, but when they come out, they still are a citizen. They were born and raised here, the majority of them. And so they still are citizens. So we're trying to help offset the stigma and image that's associated with them now to help begin to change the consciousness of how Americans look at the people that we love, the people that our friends, our coworkers, our relatives, et cetera, and give them a sense of esteem in terms of looking at as returning citizens. So that's how it Somewhat evolved at trying to change the image of how these individuals are being perceived, and the and trying to put more value back into their meaning for when they come out because they have a purpose. We have to embrace that. We have to be the uh, 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 I guess the advocates of making that change, or else if we don't and the mind shift doesn't change, then we will tend to. I guess stay within the comfort of the stigma and not look beyond who the Mm. individual is. And we would then continue to find ourselves, um, making some adverse unhealthy types of decisions, which also impact on policy. So policy is tied into how we begin to change the mindset. And that's once one effort for those of us who are trying to advocate for this position is to give them a different identity. And we uh, look at them as returning
2: citizens to our community. That's good stuff. Yeah, there's a gentleman that was very significant. And Muskegon, again, in Michigan was very um, important to the power piece. It it really gave us a story because it worked. But there was a gentleman up there that I became good friends with. His name's Andy Ribbons. He's a successful business owner there. And he started to go in with a church group and serve the guys, and he developed such a connection that he uh, began to hire guys that were coming out. He's got his own business. He's got, you know, 20, 30 employees. His family, his son helps run the business. His wife works there. His daughter, his beautiful daughter works there and and he currently employs probably 12 15 uh returning citizens from that community that make okay. up half his workforce and he literally trusts them with his family and with yes. the keys for those and they i mean he um you know i mean he trusts them and and he gives them a chance now he's again a very he's a man of faith Which is going to lead us, Antonio, to this next uh, question. But he's given them a chance because he believes in them. And the reason why is he went in and met them. And then he began to believe that there were men in there that would change. And if you give somebody a chance. And I always say, I'm not trying to bring God to you. I'm looking for God in you. And then God is going to do his thing. And that, you know, is not a religious thing. It's a spiritual thing. I believe in faith. I believe in the faith community. I just respect whatever your journey is. But I go in there and I see other men go in there and look at these men. Like these men, these are God's children. Whatever they've done, um, I just want to help them. And but but if we have business leaders that are willing to give them a chance, you'd be amazed. And like in Georgia, a lot of the the inmates, the returning citizens don't realize that, and the employers, potential employers, don't realize they get a tax break and they get insurance. I mean, the, the state government has set it up where we will help you out with taxes and we'll provide insurance for um, the people you hire because they're trying to encourage business owners to hire the returning citizens. And that's important because it's somebody's dad, uncle, mom, you know. But, you know, what's even harder, Antonio, is a lot of them can find a job and even get a good address that they can parole to. But they cannot find a church, many of them, that will accept them. And that is (laughs) Jesus, you know, he he was the one that commanded us. And you wrote in the foreword to my new book, you said, you know, when when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. And when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you visited me. When I was a stranger, you invited me in. When I was in prison, you came to see me. And whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. And so there is not just a place for faith communities to get involved in this. It is expected if you're going to bear that name, and you know call yourself by that name. What do you think about that? You're you're a man of faith. I know that. So, what do you think the the role is for the faith community?
3: So, um, kid, now now you're bringing it home. Now the conversation is come on, baby, open. let's and roll. I, and and I and I really appreciate this. So, I've come to some very deep and new convictions about Matthew 25. First 35 through 40, and and I want to give you credit, to be honest, and Warden Hensley, um, because you guys have called me, God has called me to read this passage uh, in a different way, but you guys have already been living in this passage from the standpoint of what the faith community needs to do around prison. So, uh, long story short, kid, when you started pushing me, pushing the, the Spirit started pushing you in this way, um, you came to me and said, hey, bro, you know, we need to do something here, and, and I need your help, and we need, you know, as many members in the churches to be involved in it as possible. And so we tried, we launched out, we tried to get our, our two hundred, you know, 157 churches in my uh, denomination involved, we tried to come up with ways to do it, but... What I thought where we were off is, we, I didn't really read the passage correctly. So the this, uh, this scripture says in verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all his angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as the shepherd separates his sheep and the goats. And he will put the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. And the king will say to those on the right, come, you are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since creation of the world. For I was hungry, <laughs> and, <laughs> and you know what he said. So he says, yeah. "Hey, hold up." The, the entry point to heaven is, is 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 hinged on these four. I was, and the, the fourth one is I was in prison, and you came to visit me. So with that shock and awe, as I read that last week, and uh, went to a meeting in Atlanta to discuss this with the head of our ministers. Uh, I said, you know, this is an entry point to heaven. That's what this man is saying in this passage. And, you know, we don't look at it like that. Let's change the dynamics. It's not even what we should be doing. It's, it's an entry point for Christians uh, to, to make it. And, and let's, 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 let's hinge everything we do on these four I was and make sure that we get the yeah. right people at the table. I was in prison and you came to visit me. What does that mean? So where, where I'm at and where, where I'm going to launch our whole denomination around is this idea, I was in prison and you came to visit me. So I'm going to be going, uh, to answer your question, to the Warden Hensley of the world and the Kit Cummings and say, define what is a Savior saying when he says, I was in prison and you came to visit me. Is that just going to prison and saying, hey, how you doing? Is that uh yeah. uh you know, visiting with conviction to help on the way on when the when the individual comes out? Is that yeah. providing a church home? When you came to visit me in prison and then when I got out of prison, I was <laughs> welcome in your church because you came to visit me. What is it? Yeah. Because if oh, you obedience, I think that. it's all <laughs> of that. I mean obedient.
2: that is so good, you know.
3: Okay. Uh you know, so Uh, I want to say, yes, you know, there's a church on every corner and a problem on every block. That's the focus of my dissertation for my Ph.D. What are we (laughs) going to do? But secondly, um, you know, I was in prison and you came to visit me. I need you guys to define that for the faith community, and then we need to spread that all over denominations,
2: and deal. I'll stop there and let you guys answer. Woo! We 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 got a, we touched a nerve with Antonio, man. That was good. <laughs> We're gonna have to have part two of this discussion because man, we are already at the end of our time. And um, just uh, Warden Hensley, uh, man, we could have talked a lot. And we there's so many things I wanted to get to that we didn't. And Antonio, cool. you have made a huge mark on this world. I didn't get a chance to talk about all the 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 volunteers that you have managed and brought to, you know, situations around the world of crisis. And, um, this is a big deal. These two and a half million, 97, I think, percent are coming home one day. They're coming to our communities. It's not if they're coming back, it's how they're going to come back. And when they get back, if we don't help them, they're going to reoffend. And it's, it's our people, it's our children, it's our women, You know, it's our brothers and sons that that are being affected, and so these programs are so important, and that's why I'm so excited about the Power Peace Radio. Um, I'm very excited about the book, Peace Behind the Wire, A Nonviolent Resolution. Go to Amazon, iBooks, Barnes & Noble, and uh, pick up a copy, read it, and also... Follow Antonio. Google him. Go and get Anatomy of Prison Life and find out more about this. Come back next week when our our guest is going to be Doctor David Jackson. He is an officer, and we're going to talk about cops and communities. But uh, God bless everyone on here. We are praying for the communities. We need you get involved today. The power Thank of you. peace. Hope is a new Thank dope. You. Thanks, fellas. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Thank you for tuning in to Power of Peace Radio. We hope you've been inspired to make a difference and to be the change you wish to see in your world. And we hope you will listen to our next show. We're live every Monday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great week.